You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Shalom. This is To Stir With Love, Tales from Prison with Rabbi Yitzchok Kolokowski. Rabbi Yitzchok, chief chaplain as you are in Weimart, I was thinking about you uh, during this period because I thought that you would really appreciate this idea that I'm going to share with you right now. Okay. We know, yeah, okay. We know Sfira Saomer, and uh, I'm sharing the screen with you so you can uh, read along with me. And um, the, the one of the most um, often quoted rationales behind this, this, this mitzvah that goes on uh, you know, we count to 24 tonight, and hey, we're going to be counting for another 25 days. Um, the Sefer Chinuch writes that the idea behind counting is, of course, uh, with the understanding that we are moving towards something extremely important for us. Um, and that is, of course, Shvuot, Shvuos, which is the Matan Torah. And that's the whole reason why we were redeemed out of Mitzrayim. He has The whole purpose is to get there. And more than being a free person and not having to be subject to Paro's whims or the Mitzri's whims is the fact that we are going to something great and magnificent. Um, and therefore, um, um, we need to count. And the reason why we count towards the day of Matan Torah and here's the language I want to quote with you and translate. To show, because when a person counts, it's more than just knowing that it's happening and hoping for it. By actually counting, he shows his great desire for that day that he's hoping for. Like, like a person who's in, in, in chains, who's just waiting to get some sort of freedom, some sort of menucha from, to get into the shade. When am I getting free? When is going to be that moment? When you count, what does that indicate when you're counting? Everything that you're about, every, all your desires are concentrated and focused on to get there. And that's the idea of counting, is that we're just waiting, as he says, for our real freedom, our real new life, just like a, a person who's in chains, who's in prison, is waiting, and he's therefore counting the days till his freedom. And I thought that, you know, most of us don't really have things that we feel that way. I remember when I was a kid and I saw the Sefer Chinuch, I was saying, oh, I, oh, this is the way I was when I was waiting for how many days of school do we have left, right? <laughs> how many more days of school, like we would all know, guys, the guys would all have in the calendars, how many more school days there were. Uh, but the, the Chinuch takes us into people that you see, the, the, the type of feeling of waiting to get out. So I wanted to start with this and say, does this sound like something that you see in, 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 in Weimart or in any other situations you've been where the prisoners are, are, are counting towards the day that their freedom might happen with this type of desire? Well, Weimart, <laughs> Weimart has a, a, a reputation of being a go-home jail. We have programs there and if the guys are serious and they do their programs, they tend to go home. Uh, sooner than later, 
most of them, not all of them. We do have some guys with life sentences, but or with very long sentences that are essentially life sentences. But the vast majority of our inmates are are going to get out, and they know that they're eventually going to get out. Whether it's sooner than later, that's that's sometimes the question. But and they are, you know, definitely counting down the days, looking forward to when they're going to get out. And one one of my fellow chaplains that I supervise, he's a, a Catholic deacon, and I mention him sometimes. You know, his his catchphrase when he's faced with that is so he always says, you know, don't count the days, but make the days count. And that's what we're there for. We're there to really hmm. help these guys, you know, make these days count. They they're it's the so that sounds like they sh your friend the chaplain is almost telling them not to zero in on the day, like the Seprachinach is telling us is the natural attitude. Uh, it's almost like, you know, I, I always, you know, I grew up, you know, watching movies and television and prison shows, and I always saw, you know, that they, the, 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 the prisoners would be uh, in chalk or whatever they had, they would be scratching off the amount of days that, that, that had passed. That doesn't is, is that just a, some sort of a fiction that that doesn't occur in in, in, in actuality that they that yeah, that they're waiting for that day? Oh, they certainly are waiting for that day, and that's why he's encouraging. I, as far as writing with chalk, that's not something that I've actually witnessed myself outside of the 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 uh, celluloid. But the but as far as looking forward to the day and and counting the days, that uh, like you said, that's the natural thing that they're doing and the truth is when it comes to spheres Oimer, we know all of the this forum that try to find a musr or kabbalistic approach to making the days count and it's not just a, a stam counting numbers but you know it's you know tonight yeah. is to paris shebenetzach and what does that mean or or for those who you know who count it based on the uh and the memches uh you know, the uh, varm niknas behem, the other idea of Kenyan Torah, which is you know the, the one okay. of the titles of the Bible. Right, and, but 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 it's all it but it has to end the Yitzchak with the great day. I, I'm 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 reading between the lines from what you're saying that it's maybe unrealistic because the, maybe the prisoners, although they have a date when they can be released. Does it usually happen that they are? I mean, we're going to come to Shavuos and have this great event, and, and in a way it's going to give us satisfaction with everything we've been through, and it's going to make our, our day of accepting the Torah so great. Or, tell me, do the, do the prisoners many times when they're given that date, that sometimes those dates pass and nothing really, they don't become free? Well, they're given two dates. There's a minimum sentence and a, and a maximum sentence. The maximum unless they commit another crime while they're in the in prison the maximum is the maximum that's when they're getting out for sure uh, as far as the minimum that is obviously uh, up to the parole board to decide whether or not i mean obviously uh -huh. when they're when their minimum doesn't mean that they're off the hook it means that they're out on parole so they'll they'll see their parole board sometime before the minimum and Depends. Do they did all their programs that they're required to? How have they behaved themselves? Have they had any serious infractions? Any any misconducts? And sometimes, you know, we did have one case that I can think of where it was really obvious. But it's something that happens more often than that. Is that someone will have 
a minimum date and they keep their nose clean and do everything. And it's kind of a test to see, well, how do you deal with disappointment? Because we, as we've discussed before, getting back into society after serving a prison sentence is not all, you know, rosy, uh, you know, colored glasses. It's, it's a very difficult thing to get back into society. They are bound to face tremendous disappointments upon release. And so in order to kind of test and see how do they deal with this disappointment, though, it'll be a wait. What I'm hearing from you is something that sounds quite, um, I don't know what you would call it, uh, it borders on cruelty. In other words, to make the prisoner believe, to give him the indicators that he was going to, let's say, get out, let's say on May 15th or whatever date it was, and knowing that it wasn't going to happen, and then sort of monitoring well, the they're fellow. Not, they're, they're, not, they're not given a false hope that, you know, by the parole board that, to say that, yeah, you got it, and then, and then it's taken away from them. It's just that they're given a, a minimum sentence, that this is a possibility of parole, and it, but it usually doesn't happen, and is what you're saying. Usually, that first date that they're sort of counting for, and which is their first possible date, most prisoners end up disappointed. Is what you're telling me? Yeah. I think. Although, uh, in general, that was the approach, and now with COVID, that's less so. Uh -huh. they're, they're but the old approach was built on this sort of psychological testing. It's almost like. Well, you know, we're probably not going to let him out anyway, but it'll be good for him. And maybe we're even going to measure how they relate to the disappointment. And do they become angry or uh, do they become flustered? Do they do, do they start acting out? I mean, I, I remember one inmate it came to his minimum and he was denied parole and he was a model inmate until that day. And then he was the opposite he was you know and and uh, it, so much work went into monitoring him and he his behavior became very erratic a young man and uh, i think the the head of the of the uh, medical uh, unit there she said uh, he's the the louis vuitton of inmates of how much money and time meaning like you know it's naming an expensive handbag company that like he's an expensive inmate because of how much effort and focus we all put in to this one inmate until he was transferred to another prison because he really didn't fit in in you know waymart is a kind of so a, not getting what not not achieving again you could be so focused like so many people are during spirit towards this great goal and if, if an inmate like evid yishaf would say and doesn't get it. You can imagine that this, you know, could could really shatter the person. And um, and uh, again, because it probably takes incredible fortitude. You talk about your night you spent in prison, um, you know, and uh, um, and I I haven't talked to you about my little brush with the law when I was a little boy, but but to spend years and years in prison and to build up a certain fortitude and ability to handle it, and then you know, watch it crumble away while others are sort of monitoring you. It does really strike me as something um, that probably shouldn't happen. And I'm happy now that COVID came in, you're telling me it doesn't happen as much. Let me ask you something. You know, we talk about, you tell me, uh, you know, now that you mentioned it, I, it makes sense to me that you wouldn't be using chalk on the walls. I assume that this goes against prison regulations to to mark up 
the walls with anything, even if it's a graffiti of any type, even if it's just a simple uh, amount of days or weeks that they've been there. Um, but I would assume that the, the prisoners can have calendars hanging on their walls, right? Yeah, yeah. But uh, that was always a big commodity from the chaplaincy department was uh, before I got to Waymart, uh, it, it was expected that the chaplain is going to give you a calendar. Uh -huh. And we we don't do that anymore. We didn't do that even before I got there. And it was it's still something that we every now and then we get requests so could i have a calendar or a a date book or a, a phone book or this and that and especially now that was, we was that a way to cut expenses not to give the calendars yeah especially now that every piece of paper that comes into the prison has to go through um uh, a, a a central processing center because of worry of contraband coming in on paper that uh -huh. we so, so there's in other words there might be some messages in, in 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 the images and the pictures of this of this uh of this calendar no, that, the the issue is that that people smuggle drugs on paper oh i see in other words the paper can somehow be uh, broken down absorb, yeah you, you can maybe absorb. break down the paper into some sort of hemp or something or whatever some material well, that... it, it, it absorbs the um a, a, a particular um one of the opioids that they I see actually... it's sort of what we used to see in the magazines like when they would have like fragrance coming out of the papers i guess the papers can be treated in a way that the draw uh, wow so now yeah. um um you don't get but if but why so you're not distributing calendars but um well also part of it is that it's not a our function is religious so if there's a religious need for a calendar a jewish calendar a uh muslim prayer schedule uh you know catholic holy days the saint days and things like that uh, so those then, calendars would be made available yeah, but either we print them or there's or like we said, they they're sent to a central processing center where they are, you know, examined to make sure, you know, <laughs> maybe smelled by dogs and everything to make sure that they're not I carrying see. drugs. And and that's so have you, have you ever had a problem with a Jewish calendar that uh, you might have uh, distributed, or was there any problem with Jewish calendars being distributed there? I. I I made a, I, you know, out of extra caution, I was more worried as opposed to it actually being a problem. And they actually did change it. The the ones who printed the Jewish calendars, the, the Chabad uh, Aleph Institute, I pointed out to them that it's inappropriate to have any, uh, any image of a weapon in a prison setting under any circumstance. So on the listing for Lagbeimer, when I first got there, I noticed there's a picture of a bow and arrow on the on the Lagbeimer listing on the calendar, and I asked them that if next year they should remove that. So, uh -huh. so there was actually like a crossbow or something, or it was a picture of a drawn uh, bow, or it was actually you could see the, the 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 arrow and the and the and the string it was like too real. It, it it represent it was more than just like a child's you know representation it actually looked like a bow and arrow uh no it was a pretty simple representation but even that we don't we are careful uh, I, I, the way that it kind of came to my attention 
was I was reading about how in other prisons and other even other countries, how do they handle various religious minorities and 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 accommodating them? So the the as you're well aware, the Sikh religion, if someone is a baptized Sikh, they have to carry a weapon with them, and uh, as, uh, among other things, a comb and a few other items, and they can't cut their hair, uh, and a few other other issues that. That the Sikh religion mandates. Uh... So the wonderful Sikhs, who I really am a big fan of, and I'm all my interactions with them have, you know, has been really wonderful and positive. I've taught uh, history of religious um, comparative religions, and we did a whole uh, number of weeks studying the Sikhs and what, what the religion is about. And there's a lot of affinity between the Sikhs and 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 the monotheism that's practiced by the Jews. Uh, but one of the things is that they have to hold like a, a type of a knife. I don't know what it has a special name, a gundra or something. It's a special name, right? The knife that they have. I, it's escaping me at this moment. It starts with a K because they're the five Ks. Uh -huh. So the, the knife has a, um, it's a special, and that indicates like they're, they're going to protect and fight for God, right? Right, and, and protect the innocent from, you know, that's the, the main thing is that, you know, they're not, they're not militant for militant's sake, but they're they're you know people who stand up to protect the innocent and and defend people. And I think they were actually uh, in, in India in the Punjab uh, um, province. I think they were um, relegated to protect. Yeah. They were there to protect uh, the, the 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 president or the premier, right? Yeah. I think that was yeah. there. And there was an incident that happened, in, I think, in the late seventies or the eighties. I think where they were assassinated. And uh, it led there was an uprising against the Sikhs by Indira the Gandhi, yeah. right, but, but it, was, it was Indira Gandhi's assassination, right? And yeah. I think, I think because of that, that led to the Sikhs starting to leave, and people started finding out who they were, right? They started um, they started emigrating uh, in mass uh, to the United States and finding places to work. And so, uh, so, so just the, the connection back to this with Lagbomer. Was that I found out that in 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 England, the Sikhs, uh, if they're in prison, they're not allowed to have the actual weapon, of course. But on the comb, they're allowed to have a picture of the weapon. But it, here in America, at least in in Pennsylvania, that would not be accepted because our uh, our regulations make it clear that no picture of a weapon is even permitted. Wow. I see. Sounds a little bit strange. I mean, come on, you know, you know, a picture of a of 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 this Sikh knife is somehow going to uh, generate uh, militarism uh, with these very peaceful, very disciplined people. You know, the Sikhs so, that they that they're going to yeah, have. The, the truth of the matter is, we in the whole DOC currently we have only, and none of them are in Waymart. We only have two men who are registered as Sikhs. And uh, one of them appears to actually be, you know, traditional Sikh from, you know, from, with a last name. Are you trying to call? No, no, that was just a pocket call. Yes. Yeah. It was actually the Sikh, uh, liber it was the Sikh Anti-Defamation League that was calling you. <laughs> no, no, I understand. So it's actually, there's only, which is really a great indicator. In the whole state of Pennsylvania, there is only one Sikh that is, that is, that is registered. 
right? Two, two, two people registered as Sikhs. One... And that's in the whole state, the whole nicely, you know, very large state of Pennsylvania with many, many prisoners. I think that's another, you know, great uh, shevach for the Sikh, uh, for the Sikh people that uh, they are very solid citizens and, and live according to the law and submit. And um, even in the face of prejudice and other things that occur, they, uh, yeah. Um, so yeah, okay. So there is only one still, it sounds a little bit strange that a picture, whether it's the picture of the bow and arrow for Lagbomer or the picture of, a, of, of, the, of the Sikh's knife is somehow going to, you know, somehow that's the worst. Pod. Now I'm thinking back. I knew it started. I think it's called the Kier Pod. Uh -huh. so, okay, so the Kier Pod is um, is, is somehow going to generate. Um, well, the, the the concern is not really again per se about necessarily someone who is actually a practicing Sikh abusing their their religious rights, but anybody can claim. Like I said, we have two people who are registered as Sikhs, I believe only one of them actually is. The other one is, uh, you know, he okay. Here. So tell me, he, Yitzhak, okay, so he's person, got the picture. So. He, he doesn't even have the real peer pod, but he has the cure pod, but he has a picture of it. So what he's going to salivate over it and he's going to somehow, it's, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to drive him into a violent frenzy, just the picture of it. That sounds very strange. Yeah, that's just how it is. I, I, don't make <laughs> I see. Little, you know, I, I hear. Okay. Um, speaking about Sikhs, and again, going back to Sphira Saomer, you know, that I know one of the cardinal uh, um, tenets of the Sikh religion, especially, if, you know, when the males and they develop is, is to, um, is to keep their hair, uh, like, you know, folded up and bundled, but extremely long. They don't cut their they, hair. They're not allowed to cut their hair. I believe the women also are not allowed to. There was actually an issue of a Sikh woman who uh, had a hormonal issue that she was growing facial hair and she was not allowed to remove it. And, you know, what the uh -huh. issue was that. Uh, Cyrus, the Cyrus are, are, maybe it's some Kabbalistic, semi-Kabbalistic idea, but I know it's definitely a very great tenet of their religion. So how, how does that work? And, and let's talk about, let's say if somebody um, theoretically, um, would say I'm in a period of mourning and I, I'm a shaving. I'm not, and, and the person's hair grows very, very strongly. Um, um, would that ever be a problem? And would that ever be a problem? in, in as, as far as you know, of getting your hair growing long like that? Right now in Pennsylvania, it's not an issue. It used to be. It was. Uh, you used to have to have a religious exemption to keep long hair, and they changed that that now there's you can have your hair as long as you want we have so, so it used to be you'd have to there was barbering done in the prison for people whose hair was growing they'd have to submit to the barber and there was a barber in prison is that the way it worked there definitely there still are barbers in the prison but uh, now it's optional whether or not you want to take it so that's good so that's good for the Sikhs what did they do before this uh Kula what did the Sikhs do in order to keep their religion well, I, again, uh, we don't have a large Sikh population, okay, but... but there are other religions that, that do have religious uh, requirements as far as haircutting and so forth. And basically, you had to have a religious exemption um, in order to keep your hair long. So I, I know, uh, I remember Rabbi Males writing about this uh, in the Jewish press because I keep he was, yeah, he was in Memphis he was, now. Yeah, He's in Memphis now, but he was in Harrisburg sure. years ago. And 
and he said that uh, you know he had to explain to I guess Reverend Clem, who's who's uh, uh, one of uh, you know the in in central office. He's uh, you know how is it that he, he himself was clean shaven and why and he's an Orthodox rabbi and why is it that this uh, inmate has to request to to, to grow a beard. Uh, when it's when when the prison doesn't want him to grow a beard, you know, and and he needs a special exemption, and how he had to give these exemptions and so forth, and, and the, it definitely you know, would be a, I'm sure it would be it would make a um, what did what did uh, Tebia say? It would make a wise would make a wise man's eyes spin. I mean, to understand exactly the difference between the different strands of Yiddishkeit and different tanogas and in terms of. But clearly, during this period of Avelis, I guess, uh, and that, and that, you know, that was mentioned in the, in the, uh, in, in in the old uh, handbooks of how you know with the 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 uh, what do you call it the the three weeks and and the time of Sphira were considered times that the Jewish prisoners would be able to grow their hair out. Yeah, they'd be exempt from hair cutting, uh, and then. Um, but any Jewish prisoner could request to keep a beard or keep payas, and then it was. Uh, but again, the more common religion that someone would claim in order to have a long uh, ponytail is to be Native American. Mm-hmm. So nice. we we have uh, and and once that haircutting exemption was brought out, the was was eliminated. Then pretty much everybody. Uh, who was the the Native American circle shrank a lot, you know, and we were we were thinking once tobacco was banned that a lot of people would would join the Native American circle because they would be allowed to have a, a puff of tobacco, you know, once a week. But some part of as part of the religious that's a religious yeah. requirement to puff tobacco once a week. Well, we we offer it once a week. I wouldn't say that's necessarily well. Right now with COVID, we're not offering it at all, but. Uh, it, again, I'm not saying it's necessarily once a week, but it was. Oh, I didn't realize that. Uh, you know, I always know about smoking a peace pipe, but I didn't realize that it was a uh, it was part of the Wenape or or, or various Native Americans' uh, religion. Um, yeah, well, they 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 don't use the term peace pipe really. It's just it's a <laughs> sacred pipe, uh-huh. and it's a major part of of pretty much every Native American. Uh, tradition that I'm aware of is to have some kind. So there, it's it's it, uh, the way that they uh, the way they deal with it is different in each prison in each in each. Uh, I see. You know, in it's New sure. York, yeah. in New York, they give them a pipe that doesn't have tobacco, but it has the other herbs. Um, sage is a major herb uh, that they that they use, but they actually they smoke the sage. They don't only have the smudging ceremony and uh but no parsley though no there's no parsley in no parsley or rosemary or thyme just sage yeah 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 so but so they so that is and i and we know of course and i'm joking about this but we know that there's plenty of um you know the the northern uh, new york state is um you know, has a has a has a great population of Native Americans, and um, and I'm not trying to discount in any way their you know, the significance of their their religion, and uh, and I guess we should we should own up to the fact that this is something of religious freedom that we're very happy that it's being offered. 
uh, to be able to uh, be engaged in that. Sort of like the Baal Shem Tov Saluka, right? The Baal Shem Tov on Erev Shabbos, I think, would, would uh, before Shabbos began, they say it was a way for him to commune with all the neshamas that would come to him. It's it's almost exactly like that, that they, they believe that their prayers ascend in the smoke. And... Right, it's mamish like in Shifchei Abersht, when they talk about that. That's what the Baal Shem would do right before Shabbos. He would get and, into... And, and also the Baal Shem Tov said that the, he's quoted as saying, I, we don't know how many of these things are, are really historically accurate, but as saying that that there are Nitzoytes to Kedusha that exist in tobacco that uh, were, were Megala just in Ikvis de Mashicha because, you know, we, with the Colombian exchange. That's we, when that we, plan started to develop. And that's when. Yeah, uh, I mean, that, that in the old world, that they had access to tobacco and that uh, it, it's part of bringing Mashiach is, is by, by uh, using tobacco, whether it's smoking wow. or, okay. or, or snuff. <laughs> so it's really. Uh, Wow. If only the R.J. Reynolds company could get a hold of that. Yeah, they could start pushing. Yeah, you know, we don't need the Marlboro Man anymore, right? We're bringing the Messiah with the, uh, you know, the more we've spoken here, this is, this is, this is the, uh, yeah. Quite and then, and then the Lelever was famous to say that you could be Mekayim Chamutzi Shabbos Malugma with, with, with a cigarette. So that, that's the, I remember the Sklener Rebbe's Chulavrocha used to go to the Tish. Let's say Shabbos, and he'd take a few puffs after Havdalah, and and they, everyone would would take a puff from his cigarette. It would be like Shrayim from the cigarette. I never saw his father to smoke. I don't think his father smoked, but I, I don't. Know. Again, this, uh, I was by his father often. I never saw his yeah. father smoke. By Havdalah, you were you were ever by? Yes, Havdala? yes, I was there by Havdalah. I sure was. I got a bracha. I, I think I've mentioned. Haven't I mentioned to you the bracha that he gave me at Havdalah? No, that has protected me, believe me. His bracha has really made a difference. You know, Yitzchak, you know, we talk about Sfiras Ha'imer and, um, and Minhagim. You know, I, I, obviously when you're desperate and, and your situation has changed, maybe COVID has given people a different perspective. But I think a lot of us really go through this, you know, the, the cycle of the year. And it's hard for us to really summon emotion and, 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 and a sense of it being different. Okay. Counting again, and the Chassidim always say, "No, with velchas fear, my poigim gavain divach." You know, with velchas fear, my poigim gavain haant. You know, in other words, yeah, we're going through it. Yeah, we know that it's all based on something deep and and important. But you know, if if if, if we're all comfortable and we're just really doing the same thing over and over again, um, you know, it, it's hard to find um something that could really change and uplift you and make you look at it different. I think that's part of, I think you'll agree with me, Yitzchak, that one of the um, uh, the challenges and uh, of being a mature adult person is to go through the these these events uh, and year after year. And they are very similar to what, in terms of, I guess, liturgically or the words that we're saying. But to find in those familiar words and those familiar actions, um, some sort of aspect that speaks to you now and something that you didn't notice before, something that as well thought out as you were a year ago, there's some new element that suggests itself to you that maybe it wouldn't be that way if you were just <laughs> making stuff up every year. The fact that we fall into these patterns uh, allows us a comfortability, but also to find and explore something uh, important uh, and, and and different that we wouldn't have had otherwise. So 
I'm using this something I felt like really experiencing that you know I kind of felt like I had a major urethra all throughout the sphere all throughout the COVID time like in, in Yiddishkeit and in, and in Ruchnius and everything but to have Yiddishkeit as a almost like a a lifeboat to, to rescue, you know, to that I can, I, you know, grabbing onto the Teva, you know, that I'm not going to drown, you know, whatever, whatever, I can still do tshuva, I can still come back again, because, you know, I'm not throwing the whole thing away, and I, and I would never imagine to do so, it's not, it's not in, in a havamina by me, you know, to, to stop being a yid, you know, but it's, you know, if whatever you read as I have, I can, I can, I can, the fact that I'm, that, that I have, you know, whatever devotions that I've developed, whatever st- stardom of learning and whatever, it makes it a lot easier to, to, to blab zechid, you know, with, with all that. Yeah, that's, true. That's, I mean, I mean, listen, I've heard this from, you know, you, you weren't born in general going through this cycle of life, the cycle of Sphere Salimer and beyond. I think it should take us into, uh, the familiar, as I think you quoted once in a conversation we once had, um, that sometimes the sitter itself is just really a great mantra. Remember, you you mentioned this to me one time when we had a conversation about this. Yeah, yeah, that, it was uh, Arya Kaplan said that that like the with the Eastern traditions, the the Vedic traditions would sit and recite a mantra over and over again. I know, and Reb Nachman Breslov also said, you know, you should say like a mantra in the same fashion, but to, to have a set liturgy, to have a sitter is is getting deeper and deeper each time. And I remember also one of my Rebbeim in Eretzrael, he said, you know, you go out west and you look at the Rocky Mountains and you're looking at a mountain. Or Monument notice, or monument Valley, considering the searchers, yeah, yes. Yeah, and you, you notice the subtle changes as you're, you know, you're, you're seeing it from far away and you're driving by or you're sitting in the train and you're looking out the window and you notice the the subtle change. You can, you can be mesmerized by looking at this mountain because you're seeing a slightly different vantage point every, every inch that you go ahead. And that makes it, uh, it, oh. it, 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 it's the same thing with the sitter. There's so much depth there in the sitter and the chumash and the shas. And, and, and you're seeing it differently because you're a different person than you were. The person pre-COVID is different post-COVID, and the person today is different than that person yesterday. And that's um, definitely, again, I'm sorry for finishing your thought, but I think that's where you were trying to go on this, I would say so. All right, my friends, so that's it, I think, for... Uh, uh, our episode this week uh, as we advance through through Sphere Homer. Thanks again, Rabbi Yitzchak. We'll catch you next time, hopefully, with more to stir with love. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode. 